The conservative leadership candidates participated in a French-language debate last night and were all worse off because of it. I'm Kenneth Malcolm, and this is The Kenneth Malcolm Show. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the program. Originally, I was going to air a interview that I did with Tom Flanagan today in a sort of recognition of the one-year anniversary of the apparent discovery of unmarked graves. But given the fact that there was a conservative debate last night, I think we're going to uh, push that interview. We'll air it next week. And today, I want to talk to you about the debate that happened last night. Now, originally, I wasn't going to cover it because I don't think that there's a lot of interest in conservative circles and in in Canada, frankly, uh, to listen to a French language debate. There's such a small percentage of conservative members who speak French, and I think we're better served having debates in English. I don't think a lot of people tuned in last night, and I think the viewership numbers uh, will show that. We don't know them yet, but just judging by the number of people watching them on YouTube and social media platforms last night, it was a small fraction of what we had watching the debates, uh, the English language debate that happened in Edmonton a few weeks ago. And I, I just want to say, I think it is a disservice to conservatives and more broadly to Canadians that, that we had this, this, this spectacle, this charade, pretending that we should give equal weight to French and English language. It, it, it doesn't make sense for the Conservative Party. We know that the Conservative Party is a party based mostly out of Western Canada. That is where the bulk of the support of the party uh, comes from, not just now, but traditionally as well. Um, Quebecers don't vote for the Conservative Party in large numbers, no matter what, no matter what the strategy, no matter uh, the candidate, no, no matter how well they speak French or how poorly they speak French. Uh, we're going to go through the stats and numbers. But 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 the idea that, that, that there should be two equally weighted debates, right? There's two official debates in the Conservative leadership race, the English one and the French one, and it's over now. We're done. No more debates. The, the, the decision doesn't come until September. So we're now, what, four months out, and we're not going to have another debate. That was it. Um, you know, may maybe someone will plan something and try to throw something together over the summer. Uh, but at this point, the candidates have no more debates. So that was the last opportunity that we had. And again, I think it's a disservice that it happened in French. And as we saw last night, for those who did uh, tune in, the, 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 the French debate, it was humiliating, right? We have six candidates on the stage. Three of them speak French fairly well. I think that Jean Charest is obviously a native French speaker. Pierre seems to have very good French, Pierre Polyev. And it looks like uh, Patrick Brown has been working on his French. So, so you had those three candidates who were actively participating, who really were the debate. And then the other three candidates, Roman Babber, Lesson Lewis, and Scott Aitchison, weren't really part of the debate at all. They, they, they were just sort of on stage. Every now and then they would read a, a, a line that they had or, or a prepared statement that they had in French, but they weren't really participating. They weren't following along. They weren't able to jump in and interject with their opinions and ideas because it's really hard to follow a fast-moving debate in another language that you barely understand. And so it was pretty clear that those three candidates don't speak French fluently enough to be able to actively participating. So again, we just heard them kind of repeating the same thing over. It was humiliating for them. It was insulting for the crowd. I mean, the crowd is there, the, the Quebec, the French speaking crowd in Laval, Quebec, they're there to hear a debate and to have candidates forced to 
read a statement that really doesn't have anything to do with what the debate is about because a lot of times it was just really lost in translation. The candidates, those three candidates didn't really understand what the questions were, the context, uh, the, the, the actual direction that the debate had gone. Every time they spoke, it was just kind of a distraction. And, and it, didn't, it didn't make for good viewing. It didn't make for um, an entertaining debate. And it didn't really make for a good exchange of ideas, which is exactly what you want to see from a debate. The whole idea is to have them debate. So why not stick to English, a language that all six of them fluently speak, instead of the spectacle of trying to force conservatives to speak French? And let me just say, on the conservative side of the aisle, it's hard enough to recruit really good talent into politics, okay? If, if you're a very smart, capable, talented, competent person who, who has a conservative worldview, who is who's sort of pro-free market, pro-business, um, you know, believes in a sort of tradition of our structures and is, is generally speaking pro-Western liberal democracy and capitalism, uh, you're more likely to be successful in the private sector. You're more likely to be a business owner or an entrepreneur or an executive at a big company. You're more likely to be successful in that realm and it's really hard to take people who are successful over there and convince them to come into politics. That, that, that's hard enough as it is. Um, add on top of that the layer of the fact that the media hates conservatives. And so whoever comes in to the conservative fray is automatically going to get smeared uh, as soon as they're the leader or as soon as they're running in an election. Uh, we saw this with, um, interestingly, Chris Alexander, who was a very respected diplomat in Canadian uh, political circles. He came into the fray of politics. He joined the Harper Conservatives. Um, eventually becoming the immigration minister. And uh, he, he talked about how kind of blindsided he was by the smears that are regularly aimed against conservatives. It's, it's so different than for liberals. They will ruin your life and uh, attack every angle of you. Um, and and, and so, so this already makes... That, 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 that's two shots against conservatives, right? Number one is that most competent, capable people who lean conservative are successful in business and have no interest in politics. Um, the second is that the media will destroy your life. And the third one is that this idea that you must speak French in order to be the conservative leader, you basically eliminate like like 60% of the Canadian population from ever being able to want to get involved in federal politics. Uh, I remember Kevin O'Leary, when he was running for leader of the Conservative Party, he talked about this. He didn't speak French. He was a businessman. He's from Ontario. He never learned French. He's not from a bilingual family. That's just not part of his life. And this, this idea that he was going to be forced to learn French, he was like, you know, that's not worth my time. There, there's so many other things that I would rather do to, 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 to if, I, if I'm going to lead this party and going to lead this country, I would rather focus on making me learn French is a distraction. I think that's completely right. And I think that the numbers bear this out. So again, by participating this in this event, by, by putting it on equal footing, saying we're going to have two official debates, one in English, one in French, it, it backs up this idea that conservatives must speak French in order to become prime minister. And I think that's a dangerous position and a dangerous president. And it doesn't help when, when, when it comes to electoral outcomes. So conservatives don't win in Quebec. That's, that's the reality. Conservatives currently have 10 seats in the province of Quebec. Um, the most that they've won in recent elections was 12. And that was in 2015, right? So, so no matter what conservatives do, they have a very, 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 very small footprint in Quebec. The majority of people in Quebec don't like the conservatives, won't vote for the conservatives. They have fundamental differences in terms of their worldview and their values. And so the fact that we waste so much time, the conservatives waste so much time trying to make inroads, trying to win in Quebec, participating in the spectacle that we saw in the debate last night, it doesn't help, right? It doesn't help. And, and then the reality is the majority of Canadians don't speak French. Only 22% of Canadians have French as 
their first language that's about just a little under 8 million and then another 6 million are bilingual so uh, Canadians from the rest of the country who have learned to speak French or have French families a lot of those people uh, live in other sort of bilingual areas uh, like francophones in, in Ontario or in New Brunswick um, so just a few more stats on on uh, the official languages according to the census so you can go through and you can see by province what percentage of the population uh, is bilingual so Newfoundland 5% PEI 12% Nova Scotia 10% New Brunswick 33% um, you know, those aren't provinces, again, where conservatives do very well or win very well, but 11% of people in Ontario are bilingual. And then once you start to go west, those numbers really drop off, right? 8%, Saskatchewan, 4.7% are bilingual. Alberta, 6.6%, British Columbia, 6.8%. So really, there's not a lot of need out West to learn French. It doesn't seem like an important language. I mean, I grew up in, in, in British Columbia, and I remember in grade 11, they started offering Spanish at my school. And most of the students got out of French and started taking Spanish because, I don't know, maybe they thought it was more useful or, or a language that they would actually use in the world. Uh, French isn't that useful out West. Uh, the point that J.J. McCullough makes, a journalist who I've, I've talked about this topic on the show with before, uh, he, he talks about how the, the, the only real um, reason that you could learn French is if you're forced into a situation where you have to speak French, right? It's not just a choice that you can go take some courses at a local community college and learn French. Um, the way that you're going to learn French is if you're in a situation where you must speak French to survive, you have no other option. And the reality is in Western Canada, that's never the situation that you're going to confront unless you go and choose to like spend a spend a year abroad or, or go spend some time in a, a very kind of um, French part of Quebec, not Montreal, but outside. I want to draw your attention to a, a really interesting op-ed written by Ken White, who is a conservative uh, publisher. Um, and he, and he, he picked up on this topic again. He said that conservatives think the next party leader should be bilingual. They're wrong. Now, he, this was a older op-ed that he wrote uh, back when Aaron O'Toole was running for leader. This was back in January 2020, uh, but the points are still very relevant, and I want to explain why. So Ken White says this. He says, bilingualism is not a constitutional or legislative requirement for a party leader or prime minister. It's not even a convention. Bilingualism as a leadership credential arose relatively recently in our history in response to a discrete event, the rise of separatist sentiment in Quebec. The retiring liberal prime minister, Lester B. Pearson, thought it advisable under the circumstances that his predecessor be a bilingual French-Canadian capable of countering the appeal of René Levesque. So, so, so it's not constitutional, it's not a legislative requirement, and it's not even a convention. This is a very recent undertaking, this idea that the Canadian Prime Minister would be bilingual, and, and it came from the Liberal side. And look, maybe it makes sense that a Liberal Prime Minister would be bilingual because Liberals tend to win most of the seats in Quebec, or they at least they compete with the Bloc for those seats in Quebec. Whereas the idea that the Conservative Party, the other party, would also have to have a bilingual leader it, do, it doesn't, again, it doesn't make sense. It's not, it's not it's part of our convention. And it's all very, very recent that conservatives have decided that they must have a bilingual leader. We'll continue reading from Ken White's piece. He says, election after election, conservatives chose bilingual leaders with an eye to cracking the Quebec electorate. Election after election, they fail. In 15 attempts since the end of the Diefenbaker-Pearson era, bilingual non-Quebecers leading the conservative, progressive conservative, or the Canadian Alliance Party. So those are all just the recent iterations of conservative parties federally. They have won a total of 66 seats, okay? 66 seats 
in 15 elections. That's an average of four seats, 4.4 seats per election. So, so, so all of this effort, all of this focus, this whole idea on shrinking the talent pool to an incredibly small pool just to find a guy or a gal who can speak French, and yet what has that resulted in? About aver on average four seats per election. It's, it's, it's really staggering that this is, this is where we are um, as a conservative movement, and the conservative party is so focused on this given the data here. So Ken White continues, he says, the bilingual Albertan Joe Clark won three seats in Quebec in two federal elections, 1979 and 1980. The bilingual British Columbian Kim Campbell took one seat in 1993. The fluently bilingual Jean Charest, who, who's now running again, well, he also ran for leader of the PC party in 1997, um, and the rehabilitated Joe Clark, um, leading the rump of the PC party in 97 and 2000, respectively, earned six, six seats between them. So yes, you got that right. Jean Charest, when he led the PC party back in 1997, he only won five seats in Quebec, five seats, despite being from Quebec and obviously fluently bilingual. Ken White continues, he says, they fail because Quebec isn't attracted to bilingual leaders from outside Quebec. In every election since the retirement of Lester B. Pearson, Quebec has given the vast majority of its seats to a Quebecer. What Quebec wants is what Americans call a favorite son, or presumably a favorite daughter would do as well, one of their own, a Brian Mulroney, a Gilles Duceppe, or a Jack Layton. You get this? So Quebecers are not going to vote for a bilingual Canadian who's not from Quebec. That, 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 that's, what, that's what the stats, that's what history shows us, that, that it doesn't matter if you speak perfectly fluent French, if you spend all your time campaigning in, French, in, in Quebec, the, the people of Quebec are going to vote for their own favorite son, their own native Quebecer. So all of these efforts to find a fluently bilingual uh, candidate, to find a, a conservative who has perfect French, um, it, it's, it's all basically just a waste of time. Final point from Ken White, he says, Preston Manning, who did not speak French, he, his reform party did not win a single seat in Quebec in 1993 or 97. The Canadian Alliance brought in Stockwell Day, who was bilingual, who did speak French, and he matched Preston Manning's record with zero seats in Quebec. So it didn't matter that Stockwell Day was fluently French versus Preston Manning, who did not speak French. They both won zero seats in Quebec. That's because Quebec values don't match up with the conservative values by and large. And so again, the whole spectacle of last night, the whole idea that we have two debates, one in French, one in English, just reiterates this, this I think, flawed notion, this foolish notion that conservatives can somehow crack through in Quebec. All we have to do is pander more and speak better French and somehow that will change things. Well, we can just go through the election results. So in 2021, when Aaron O'Toole lost the election, he got 10 seats in Quebec. 10 out of 78 seats went to the Conservatives. The Conservatives won 119 seats. Only 10 of those were in Quebec, despite Aaron O'Toole's French, despite him spending a lot of time working on his French and a lot of time campaigning in Quebec. Likewise, Andrew Scheer, who also speaks French fluently, he only won 10 seats in Quebec. Again, despite having a very significant Quebec strategy uh, gearing many of his policies towards Quebec, spending a lot of time in Quebec, only 10 seats out of the Conservatives' 120, only 10 seats out of Quebec's 78 seats. So not, not, not a lot of results, right? Prime Minister Harper, same thing. He spoke French, 12 seats. 12 seats in Quebec in 2015. In his majority government, his, his, his historic majority government in 2011, Stephen Harper won a mere five seats in Quebec. So this idea that you need to speak French and you need to make inroads in Quebec in order to win an election, 
it's just not true. It's obviously not true given what, what has happened over the past 30, 40 years, and, and we can see that. And so I, th I, think, I think conservatives would be better off focusing on the areas where they can win, trying to win over voters in suburban uh, parts of the country and perhaps even more urban parts of the country and, in, in, and not do this whole spectacle where they humiliate their own candidates by forcing them up on the stage uh, and pretending that, 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 that speaking French is the uh, quintessential um, foundational value to becoming a prime minister in this country. It's, it's, it's just not true. So Let's get to the debate itself. Unfortunately, the majority of Canadians did not watch the debate and will not watch the debate, which is too bad because overall, I thought it was a pretty good debate. The moderator, Mark olivier Fortin, who is a longtime conservative activist and insider, is a former staffer, a former member of the National Council in Quebec. He was moderator. He did, he did a pretty good job, pretty decent job. You could see that the Conservative Party was pushing the same kind of rules and nonsense that they did at the Edmonton debate because the moderator was constantly shushing the crowd telling them not to clap, not to applaud, not to boo, not to participate in the debate at all, just to basically sit there silently with their, um, you know, is sitting on their hands and, and, and not participating, which, again, defeats the whole pur purpose of doing a debate in front of a live audience. Um, but, but, but overall, the debate uh, format allowed for actual uh, debate um, back and forth between the candidates. Uh, the questions were a lot better. The questions were certainly Quebec heavy and focused on on Quebec, but they also touched on important issues uh, that we that 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 matter to Canadians. Things like energy, inflation, COVID restrictions, and a little bit on foreign affairs. So, I, th I thought overall it was it was a better debate. Um, of course, the way that it was broadcasted was a problem because. Basically, again, most people watching these debates are going to be English speaking. And the way that we were watching it was online through these feeds. And the, the way that the translators were translating uh, the debate just didn't really work. They had like one, they had one person that was translating for each of the candidates. And so when you're thinking about a debate where they're kind of going back and forth, and you just have one voice that is translating for all the candidates. It was confusing as to who was saying what. Uh, you, usually, you know, if you have six, six people on the stage and you have translators, you, you would at least want two or three different translators that are assigned to different candidates so that you could see the back and forth. You could hear who was saying what. Uh, but the way that they had it uh, translated re really didn't make for good TV at all. There were also some technical issues. The feed continued to freeze. It froze multiple times. And so you'd be right in the middle of exchange and then the screen would freeze and then it would come back like two minutes later and they'd be talking about something uh, totally different. Um, one of the things that we saw was that the lines of attack uh, were, were pretty similar to what we had seen in previous debates. Uh, they were kind of just really repeating themselves at this point. Uh, the candidates all accused Pierre of telling people to make bad investments when it came to Bitcoin, accusing him of, um, you know, saying, oh, if, if you took Pierre Polyev's advice, uh, you lose your life savings and your and your grandparents would lose their pensions or something like that um, because of Bitcoin, which is total nonsense. Uh, we heard the same lines of attack about abortion and uh, the trucker convoy against Pierre Polyev. Uh, when it came to Sheree, we saw the attacks about his, his record as Quebec Premier, um, his job with Huawei, and his position on carbon taxes. Same with Brown. Uh, same accusations were leveled against him about how he flip-flopped and how he uh, used to be very opposed to carbon taxes until he became leader of the Progressive Conservative Party Ontario, when all of a sudden he changed his tune and announced that he was for those carbon taxes. So... Nothing new there. Uh, there were a couple of highlights from the debate that I'll, I'll play for you. 
I think uh, this, this is sort of a new line of attack that they are levying against Pierre Polyev. So this is going to be Patrick Brown, who accuses Polyev of supporting Pat King. Pat King is a racist, white supremacist guy who sort of tried to cling on to the uh, trucker convoy. The media really, really gave him an outsized platform and pretended that he was the leader of the convoy because he was the only guy that they could find um, saying despicable things. And basically, they, they wanted the trucker convoy to be a group of stupid racists. They found one stupid racist and made him a star. And so Patrick Brown is sort of giving credence to the media narrative lies about the trucker convoy and using it to pile on to Pierre Polyev. Um, so here, here is what that exchange looked like. Well, on a daily basis, I've been working very, very hard uh, to build our party and to attract new members. I want to build a multicultural party, but there's a problem. As Mr. Poilievre has said, uh, he supports Pat King, who has attacked our immigration system. Mr. Poilievre said it's important to use Anglo-Saxon vocabulary. How can he actually hope to uh, expand our party when he uses that terminology? People want to build uh, a bigger party, a party that can lead this country. That's not true, Mr. Brown. I rejected Mr. McKing. I've spoken out against him and against what he said. I said I've said that openly. I'm I'm open to immigration and to diversity. Okay, so I made this point on the show before, but I will repeat it. This whole line of attack, this whole accusation here is not good for conservatives. And I, I put the blame on both Patrick Brown and Pierre Polyev for this. So again, Patrick Brown is repeating the lies of the media and giving them credibility, which is not helpful. This idea that white nationalists and conservatives are all intertwined and that the trucker convoy was really about racism and not about freedom uh, just hurts the credibility of, of so many people on the right. And Conservatives shouldn't be the one bringing that into the fold. So, so that's on Patrick Brown. I don't like his strategy. I don't like what he's doing here. I think the conservatives should use a, a loud voice and, and just say, enough, Patrick Brown, stop giving the media narratives uh, credibility just stop. This isn't true, um, and and then and then blame also p falls, of course, on Pierre Polyev uh, for for even allowing these accusations to have oxygen. Like he he needs to very firmly, very clearly denounce this idea. Say that I never supported Patrick King. I I and, and you know, loudly distance himself. And I know he he did that in the clip, uh, but I would like to see him be even more fearful and 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 and, and unequivocal in the idea that he would have anything to do with these stupid racists that are trying to, I don't know, ha have their 15 minutes of fame or whatever. Uh, Pierre Polyev is absolutely right that this is very much dividing conservatives, and it's unfortunate to see. Uh, another interesting moment at the debate, I thought last night, was uh, this moment. So Jean Charest, uh, he's done this in every single debate so far. He accuses Pierre Polyev of supporting the Freedom Convoy, and he calls that convoy an illegal blockade. What I think is interesting about this clip is the reaction of the crowd, because you can see the crowd really, really reacts to Jean Charest's uh, accusation. Um, it stirred quite the controversy in the room, so much so that you'll see the moderator had to sort of get up and say, order, order, 
please, please stop, stop. So I'm going to uh, play that clip. Just notice, notice the crowd reaction because it, it is really interesting. Here's that clip. It's a bit ironic to hear Mr. Poilievre talk about law and order. He's uh, the one who supported an illegal blockade in Ottawa. Remember that? Remember that? Please, order, please, order. You can see Pierre Polyev kind of laughing there because the crowd is booing Jean Chouret, but you could also hear that the crowd is, is cheering. So, so the crowd is split. Some people in the crowd are very loudly booing Jean Chouret. Other people in the crowd are cheering from, you can hear that they sort of start chanting his name, Chouret, Chouret. So I, I think the room is divided. I don't think it's unanimous that everyone there um, supported the trucker convoy, but just really interesting that in Quebec, in Laval, Quebec, a, a, you know, very French uh, heavy population, that, that these people, you know, they, they don't follow the media narrative that the trucker convoy was a group of racists. You can see that there is a lot of support for the sentiment and the idea, the notion behind the trucker convoy in that room, which I think is really interesting, kind of counter to the media narrative. I think the media narrative is that the trucker convoy was a bunch of rednecks from Western Canada. I don't think that's true. I think that the majority of the people at that convoy were from Quebec and Ontario, and that was why it was such a threat to Justin Trudeau. That's why he he wanted to get rid of it ASAP because uh, because the trucker convoy was much more popular in Quebec um, than a lot of these elites uh, feel comfortable with. Okay, final clip I want to show you was this interesting line of attack, which I hadn't heard before. This was new to me. So Pierre Polyev um, accusing Patrick Brown of breaking the law. He highlights a 2018 Globe and Mail uh, report that alleges that Patrick Brown took money from a candidate for the down payment on a multi-million dollar waterfront home that he bought. So Patrick Brown had originally said that the money to buy that home came from his mother. He said that his mom was the one that helped him buy the house. And then records came out that showed that it, that it wasn't actually his mom who, who uh, helped him buy that house. It was a candidate, one of the candidates that ran under Patrick Brown when he was a leader of the PC party in Ontario, an individual called Jal Johal, who was a paralegal in Brampton, Ontario. Apparently he deposited $375,000 into Patrick's, uh, Patrick Brown's account in June of 2016. This all came out and the ethics watchdog uh, reprimanded Patrick Brown when he was leader of that party for failing to disclose this. Uh, he, he later called it a loan. Um, so, so really, really interesting in story. Uh, you can see it in this clip uh, how Pierre Polyev brought this up and how Patrick Brown defended himself. Here's that clip. Mr. Brown, you have no credibility on law and order. You were found uh, guilty of having broken the integrity uh, rules. Uh, you've said uh, that uh, the money you used to buy your $2 million home came from your family. But after investigation, we now know that this money came from someone uh, that uh, was a candidate for you. How can you forget uh, where $375,000 uh, comes from, Mr. Brown? Whoops. 
You thought it came from your family, but all of a sudden you realized during the investigation that in fact the money had come from a candidate. No one believes you when you say that you're in favor of law and order, when you were found guilty yourself of having broken the law by hiding that payment. You've you're just like Justin Trudeau who hides uh, who hides the gifts people give to him as well and the donations people give to him. Mr. Brown, the only person here who has broken the law, uh, the electional law, is Mr. Poilievre. At the same time, I won't take any lessons from Mr. Poilievre. He's a person who has uh, has made uh, secret uh, deals. Pierre, it's uh, much easier for Poilievre to attack uh, other conservatives. That's his policy. That's his approach, really, isn't it? Okay, so those were some of my favorite parts of the debate. Those were some of the highlights that I could find. And again, you can see how, from a viewer perspective, it was hard to enjoy the debate just because of the weird uh, way that it was translated. And, and of course, again, the fact that, that it was in French, a language that most conservatives do not uh, speak. And there was one other element of the debate um, that, that really played in. There was an entire section of the debate on Quebec focused on protecting Quebec, giving Quebec its special status, protecting the French language, giving the French language its special status. A lot of the debate was geared towards those questions. So we just saw repeated pandering from the candidates, basically all pledging that they that they love French, that they want to do more to protect French. They want to do more to ensure that Canadians across the country speak French. Um, they, they were specifically asked about uh, the appointment of the Governor General. The current Governor General of Canada doesn't speak French, and that is very controversial in Quebec. So they're basically all uh, cudgeled into pledging that they would only appoint French-speaking candidates to top positions of the civil service, and they would do more to protect the French language. Um, but you can juxtapose that support and that, that pandering that we saw from all the candidates when it came to French um, with the discussions around Bill 21. So, of course, Bill 21 is the bill that prohibits government employees, um, anyone from prosecutors to police officers to teachers from wearing religious symbols, so specifically a headscarf um, or a turban while carrying out their civic duties. So this is, this is very controversial federally. In Quebec itself, it's not that controversial. It's actually very popular. Um, polls show that somewhere between 55 and 70% of Quebecers support Bill 21. Um, wh whereas the candidates last night, every single one of them opposed Bill 21. They all said that it goes against religious freedom and that religious freedom is a cornerstone of the conservative ideology and the conservative worldview. And so this idea that they're all up there pandering um, about French language and participating in this French debate and saying that they love Quebec, they're going to do more to protect Quebec. Um, but then the main issue that is really, really popular in Quebec and unpopular among the rest of Canadians, Bill 21, they all came out against it, which again just shows why conservatives don't win in Quebec because they, their values don't align, right? They, they, don't, they don't see things the same way as people from Quebec. And I think this issue, Bill 21, illustrates that perfectly, that no matter how much they pander, they're not going to win over people because they don't share the fundamental values that Quebecers look for. And again, I think that's why last night's debate ultimately was just a total waste of time. All right, thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Kenneth Malcolm, and this is The Kenneth Malcolm Show. Thank you.